0: Who do you think has the hardest job in school?
1: Such a challenging thing that it makes me nervous asking questions about it on TeachTap. We don't want the data to be misused. It's about getting information to people so they've got more power and someone else doesn't hold that information and they don't.
0: We're joined today by Laura McInerney. Taking Michael Gove to court and winning. TeachTap and how it can help you. Can you tell us a little bit about what TeacherTap is and how it supports teachers?
1: Yes, so TeacherTap is a daily survey app, which means it's an app you get on your phone from the App Store or whatever it's called on Android that I should know by now. And it's free, download it. It asks three questions each day, so only pings once. And as a teacher, they're about your job, then you get to see the results from yesterday, there's a little bit of gamification and CPD. Now that all sounds very simple, and it is, but behind it, what it enables us to do is constantly know what's happening on the ground in schools and then use that to challenge government, challenge the media, take part in big research projects, but also to support the teachers in a couple of different ways. First of all, we think it's quite important that you don't feel alone. Lots of people come to us and they say, even if they've had a terrible day, At the end, at 3.30 when it pings, they can open it up, do something useful and also see that other people feel the same as them. And that can be really important because it is an isolating job at times, as well as the daily reads, as well as being able to sometimes use that information to challenge whether it's leaders within your school, uh, ECTs, whoever it is. There's lots of different things that people use the data for.
0: Fantastic. I I do urge people to have a look at it, because it really does open your eyes to the whole world of teaching.
1: Yeah, we have 10,000 people roughly Mm. answer every day. People then go, so how many people actually answer? No, 10,000 people Mm. actually answer every day. About 40,000 teachers have ever signed up at some point, um, but the most people who do it do it absolutely every day. We've got Mm. people who've got streaks now of more than, I think, 1,400 days Oh my gosh,
0: I was going to ask you what was the biggest streak you've seen. I
1: I think it's over, about 1,391 was one I saw recently and we're over that now. We also have people who write to us and say things like, I'm really sorry, I was in labour for 48 (laughs) hours and I lost my streak, can I have it back? To which we say yes, (laughs) yes you can. The commitment to the cause is enough (laughs) that you can have your streak back.
0: And not only does it tell us about what other teachers are thinking and what they're doing, but how we can support other teachers, so... Part of the data showed us it's really important to check in with ECTs on a Friday afternoon.
1: Yeah, so that came about because we would ask this question uh, about disruption of lessons. So we often ask on a Friday, in the last lesson you taught, how often or was learning disrupted at all. And we can see that for most teachers, um, at some point there is going to be disruption, but particularly for new teachers, over 50% on any given day will say that they had their last lesson disrupted. And then we would ask on a Sunday, how many lessons are you dreading coming up the following week? And of course, if you had a bad lesson on a Friday, Then Sunday night dreads come along. You don't want to go in. And actually people will only do so many years of Sunday night dreads before Mm. they think to themselves, is there something else we should do? So checking in with those new teachers, particularly if they have a tricky class at the end of the week and making sure that they feel ready on a Monday morning, not dreading it, is quite
0: important. We've spoken to Dame Alison Peacock on the podcast, and hers was a Tuesday afternoon class, a Tuesday afternoon year rate, where she was told to do silent reading with them, and she dreaded that every week. And she said, I, I dreaded that, but I didn't dread the Wednesday morning. I looked forward to that. Mm. So she needed teacher up to, to um, assimilate her with other teachers as well. What's really interested me about when I've done my research of you is how completely invested you seem to be in everything you do. and, And you speak so passionately about teacher tap and not only that, but We'll talk about other things. So, Teacher Tap, we'll talk about the court case, we'll talk about teaching, journalism, schools, wig, the leadership factor. There's so many fantastic projects that you've been involved in. But one thing I heard you say that really struck a chord with me was um, I believe the more information and knowledge that is mm-hmm. shared about different groups of people to challenge myths makes for a stronger society. Mm-hmm. Will you just elaborate a little bit? What, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to your life?
1: So I was a citizenship teacher, and that was very much a choice and a subject that I loved. And I grew up in a community that at the time was not only quite poor, but I would say going backwards. So a bit like the economy at the moment where everything feels like it's getting worse. Mm. I grew up on the outskirts of Liverpool in the 1980s and 90s where it felt like everything got worse. You'd walk down a street and people would go, oh, I remember when that was a cinema or that was a bingo hall or that used to be a fabulous Mm. restaurant and what it was now was boarded up. And in those communities, it was always clear to me that people were taken advantage of at times, whether it was closing down a beloved community centre, things being sold off from underneath people. Um, Things like Hillsborough and Orgreave were very important. My dad was involved in the um, union movement. And so these were things that were very strong. He was also a Liverpool supporter, hence Hillsborough. And so I, I felt growing up that often if people couldn't read, if they couldn't um, speak and speak up for themselves, if they weren't aware of information, if no one told them about a particular law or a particular Mm. um, piece of legislation that would help them uh, put their rights forwards, then of course it was easier for other people who did have those things to take stuff from them. And someone once described to me that learning citizenship is a bit like learning the rules on the inside of the box of monopoly. And if you know all of the rules and you're probably going to be able to do things in the game that are more advantageous for you. And so I think that sits underneath everything, whether it is teaching journalism, teach tap. It's about getting information to people so they've got more power and someone else doesn't hold that information and they don't.
0: Can we focus in on Teacher Tap and, and just do some mm-hmm. will you tell us what the what the data tells us if I give you give you some topics? So the first topic is um if you've had a bad day or if a teacher's had a bad day, what does teacher tap tell us? How can we help those people?
1: So we asked teachers about when they'd felt supported by their colleagues. And what we learned was that um Getting gifts on good and bad days is quite important. So good days as well, when you've, had, you've done a big achievement, maybe you've taken your kids to a competition and they've won, but also a bad day, really challenging class. People would say that a cup of tea, a biscuit, or I found out there's a sort of secret currency of Diet Coke and Coke Zero amongst particularly primary school teachers. So a cold Diet Coke on the desk appears to be the thing that people most want. And it just helps punctuate those difficult times and be recognised when you've had good days as well.
0: So as a leader, I want to support the people in my team. What do teachers appreciate or what do they need from other members of staff?
1: So besides the gifting on the good and bad days, um, people really appreciate thank yous. So being told uh, thank you by email, cards, little, you know, just a thank you in the corridor, that makes a massive difference. Um, When people are really struggling with a lot of work for example, they have just done loads of mock exams. And like me, if you're a citizenship teacher, you might teach 580 kids in a week. Then if I've got to get through loads and loads of marking, having one or two people who step in and just take a lesson off you here and there. Mm. Or if you're an ECT, and you're in the middle of doing all of your extra work for your um, ECF, then actually someone again saying, do you want an extra half an hour? Can I take your kids for something? Can I take a break duty from you? That will make such a big difference to how that person feels. And then the third one that came out was actually what people do in bereavements seems to really matter. Um, That's hard because we often feel very uncomfortable. We might have our own feelings about bereavements, but saying to somebody, I'm so sorry for your loss, and what can we do, how can we help you, in giving that space and time for people to get to funerals is really important. It came up enough in the data mm. that it made me think we need to talk about that more.
0: We have this, uh, this system in teaching and education where people get into teaching because they love children, they love teaching, and then they develop and progress through schools, and then suddenly they're dealing with pregnancies and bereavements, mm-hmm. and like, we haven't maybe put that toolkit together yet. Something that struck me, we, we spoke to Chris Dyson, a, a head teacher from Leeds, and he was mm-hmm. saying, Um, loo days really changed the ethos in his school that he as a teacher had a wedding on a on a friday and he wanted to go to that and he knew his head teacher wouldn't let him Mm. so he instead he took a sick day Mm. and to make it more realistic he took two sick days and he said i don't want that to happen in my school so we have loo days now and the teachers can build those up and then they can have those and or if you need an hour then i've got a spare teacher there and the one of the ways he did that, he financed it, was around looking at his supply budget and Mm -hmm. taking elements of that and employing other people instead of having this supply insurance and things. Is there any data to suggest ways that schools can create funds or create opportunities to have that cover for people?
1: We do see that it is something that is in a lot of schools. Mm -hmm. So I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but when we've asked the question about duvet days or whether you're allowed to sort of take a day off randomly it was much higher than we were expecting given that people seemed to say it was rare so when their school did it they would talk about it as this very rare thing but it actually didn't seem to be that rare in the data I was of course the editor of Schools Week and we used to do stories every now and then about expenses and the Education Skills Funding Agency really clamped down a number of years ago about any of these pecuniary spends for people. So I, I'm not even sure I'd want to ask about gym <laughs> membership in case anybody gets in trouble. But free tea and coffee, we do know that 55% of schools provide free tea, coffee and milk. Although I have recently been told about milk gates, which we are going to ask some questions about soon. Does your school provide only dairy milk Ooh. or does it provide other milk? And then what's your responsibility for other milk? So...
0: So, Laura McInerney, just to get this recorded, Laura McInerney says, Head teachers, you can provide free tea and coffee for your staff.
1: Yet yeah, it's not illegal. There are some leaders, for whatever reason, who have told their staff it's illegal to provide this. <laughs> if it is, then lots and lots of people are breaking those rules. Which isn't the first time we've found mass rule breaking either. Another massive rule that's broken in schools? We are all supposed to do daily collective worship right across the state school mm. system and of course most schools don't, especially secondary schools. So we've got lots of data that proves that rule is broken day in and day
0: out. Can you tell us who are the happiest teachers?
1: Yes, before the pandemic, it was head teachers married to head teachers without children. That is the formula for happiness.
0: Oh, no, I've had children yeah, now. Some, and it... some
1: <laughs> people have already made choices that I'm afraid, you know, you can't get can't out of. Back on. Um, but that is that is the, the way. Really, it's because you've got um, two decent salaries, mm-hmm. the holidays together, but without the childcare responsibilities. And of course, financially, we'll be in a better position for not mm, having children. Mm. I mean, in the long run, psychological research will tell you that once you get older, then having children is sort of good for you. In retrospect, you'll be yeah. much happier than when you were when they were three and not sleeping.
0: Okay, so married teachers married to each other, but we also know that 63% of senior leaders think about leaving the profession.
1: So, so only 63% say that they think they will still be there in three years' time. Uh. Uh, But that has gone down dramatically. It was about 81% when we first started asking in 2018, 2019. Now that doesn't mean that only 63% will still be there in three years time. What it shows you is that there are many more people now compared to before the pandemic who would like not to be there Mm. in three years time. And that's always a bit of a problem.
0: Who do you think has the hardest job in school?
1: Uh, Heads of science. And uh, anyone with a whole school responsibility in small primary schools. Mm. But middle leaders are by far the most unhappy people in schools. Mm. And those two have specific additional difficulties. Being in a small primary comes with a lot of workload. Head of science. I mean, science is very difficult. It has a lot of marking challenges. And because it's a core subject, it's often got a lot of scrutiny primary teachers, what we find is they love teaching English and maths. Mm. So when we first asked these questions, I'm not from a primary school background, I thought that we might find that primary teachers really loved teaching all the kind of, what I would call fun subjects. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. and they don't. Actually, if they could hand anything off, they would happily hand off music, they would happily hand off languages, computing, PE, and just teach English and maths sort of, you know, over and over again because they love it so much.
0: So we've talked about hardest job. If we n- just narrow down on those primary middle leaders, you said they were the most unhappy. How are we defining unhappy? Are they most stressed? Are they most underpaid, under-resourced? Have they not got people to help them? What's making them unhappy?
1: Sure. So um, there tends to be a range of different ways that we look at this. So it's to do with um, job attachment and um, also levels of stress, hours worked, there's kind of a variety mm. of different things. What we see on almost every metric that we look at is that middle leaders are the ones who are most squeezed, particularly if it's workload related. Mm. Um, so. So that's why I would say middle leaders is the main group and then within that we can see that science teachers have a bunch of additional issues. I see. So your assumption would be kind of middle leaders of science and then in primary schools what we see is that primary teachers in one form entry schools in particular Mm. don't have a lot of support with resources. They spend more time having to build Mm. resources and do more things. So just in terms of workload times responsibility times stressors, they would be the two groups where I'd put my money. All of this, I've got a caveat, of course, where this is on average, right? -hmm. So there's Mm -hmm. always going to be some people who are either side of that. They are ahead of science and they deeply hate it. (laughs) There are people who are ahead of science and absolutely love it. And it's interesting, especially with science and maths teachers, there is this assumption that because the turnover is a little bit higher and it's harder to find maths and science teachers, that therefore people don't like it. Actually... They attach to and love the job more, mm. which, if you think about it, makes sense. Because it's so easy to go and do and become something else if you have a science or a maths degree, then you're not trapped there. You're there because you like it. So although I'm saying it's, it's kind of it's stressful and difficult, it doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who love it. And that's the same as well for challenging contexts. When we look at things like uh, behaviour, it is much harder if you work in deprived schools. Mm-hmm. But there is about 30% of teachers who just prefer those environments. You know, I was like that. I, I think I was much happier teaching in schools that were in more deprived areas, seen as more challenging, um, rather than going somewhere. I went to a school where behaviour was quite easy and I found it really boring.
0: So maybe what, what we're finding is that deputy heads and, and head teachers need to channel their support to their middle leaders to get them through that tricky part and maybe they're the ones that need the support and then that can be pulled away as time goes on.
1: Yes, and or being realistic about what middle leaders can actually do. Mm. For example, we see they have a very high teaching load, but they often have a very high email load as well. Then they're mentoring or being responsible for behaviour in some schools. At that point, your week is more than stacked Mm. and actually you're up against it and probably coming back down. If you also teach in a subject that has a very high marking load or lots of data drops or lots of interventions, revision classes, then it's going to become too much. So it's on everybody, including the middle leaders themselves, to be able to say what is reasonable, who is needed, and if you can't do it all, then what does that mean? What is Hmm. actually going to be taken off? Do science need to be marking at the same rate as maths? for example? Mm. Or does art have to be marking at the same rate as English? That's what we've got to look at and where are the trade-offs. Some schools do that brilliantly, others it's just become a bit of a habit and it's not looked at so closely.
0: What do we know about burnout and compassion fatigue?
1: Certainly we know that expectations seem to matter for illness, so uh, whether or not your school leader's expectations are reasonable of you. correlates with whether or not you're taking how many sick days you take. Mm -hmm. And now that tells us that there is something about feeling that your job is possible and doable, and you can please the people who are your kind of bosses, which impacts how you feel about it and turning up for it, or also that it could affect your your physical health. that will also be the case, though, for head teachers. And that's why I'm very worried about heads. Ever since the pandemic, their anxiety levels have run way ahead mm-hmm. of everybody else. And their workload and responsibility has gone up even more than the rest of the pack. Everyone's gone up a bit, they've yeah. gone up more. And just the sustainability of trying to keep everybody in a community happy especially when a kickoff can suddenly appear on WhatsApp or Facebook Mm. or anything else. That's just massive. And I'm actually not sure it's feasible. So if that starts to make the job feel undoable, there'll be lots of people who will start getting those Sunday night dreads and won't wanna come back in again.
0: Is school life very different in a a local authority maintained school, an academy, an independent school?
1: Um, Independent schools, yes. So obviously in independent schools, The classes typically are smaller, and there is typically more resources. Not true for every Mm. private school, but let's just go for the kind of the average. Because of that, um, some things will be a little bit easier, but we also know, for instance, that teachers who work in boarding schools work Saturdays. So when we write lovely questions about fun days on Saturdays, we'll often get people writing to us and saying, you know, you forgot about me, I'm still in school. We also know that the pressure from parents is higher in the independent sector than it is in the majority of the state sector. So, for example, during things like uh, teacher assessed grades, that pressure was being felt very, very keenly within the private sector. Mm. The level of parent complaints, parent communication, a requirement to get back to parents within 24 hours more common within that sector. Um, and then we've got this. What were the other two? Sorry. Uh,
0: Like local authority-maintained and academies. Academies.
1: With those, we don't see quite as many differences. They don't seem to discern, maybe because there's lots of different types of ways to be an academy. You could be a standalone. You could be in a massive multi-academy trust. You could be in a little tiny academy trust where no one really talks to each other. They just pretend they're in a trust. Mm. So we don't see huge differences. But we do ask a question fairly regularly. If all else was equal, who would you prefer to work for, an academy trust or a local authority? Ah. Local authorities have stayed substantially ahead throughout the time that we've been asking.
0: Why do you think that is? Because I speak to teachers, and I'm a governor at a school that's local authority maintained at the moment, and I feel like some local authority maintained schools and the teachers that work there are worried about joining an academy. Whereas yes. when you talk to people in academies, they m- maybe feel like there are benefits to it and or that nothing much has changed.
1: Yeah, I um, I don't think we've ever asked for the reasons why. We've only had open-ended questions for no. the last 12 months. We've not asked that question since, but I bet the next time we do, we can put in why uh, Why is it that you feel this way. Our hunches in the past have been that because paying conditions are different within academies there is more flexibility that people are worried that if they go into an academy then their hours could be different their holidays could be different now in some cases that can be better Mm. um schools week have been reporting recently on an academy trust that's trying to give its staff an extra week in the october half term which of course they can do because under academy rules you don't have to be open for 195 days a year you can actually as some trusts do only be open For um, Sorry, 190 days for pupils, you could only be open for 185 if you choose. And so there are some things that are very good, but people worry about their protections, Mm. they don't always know what the deal will be, Um, and I think that's partly it. The other one is autonomy. So, of course, since 1988, local authority schools were able to choose what they taught as long as it was in line with the national curriculum which, if you've read the national curriculum, it's a reasonably broad document Mm. and that gives you lots of flexibility. So everybody in that school gets the decision for themselves. In an academy, you're not covered by the national curriculum, so in some ways there's absolutely loads of flexibility, but depending on the trust, it might be that there's a central team who decide your curriculum. Now, that might be something that people think is brilliant because they've bought in resources and actually that's fantastic. There are other people who hold very, very strongly to their curriculum autonomy. Mm-hmm. And we recently did a question on this. We asked, if you could choose, you had to choose between two schools. One has fixed curriculum, and, uh, but lots and lots of support for behavior. And the other one has no support for behavior but, fixed, uh, but total freedom for curriculum, which would you go with? Now we know that behaviour support is generally beloved of teachers, so we're asking people to give up something that they mm. like in order to get curriculum freedoms. What do you find? Newer teachers really, really want the behaviour support and wanted the curriculum as mm. well. These people over here, because they're very experienced, they feel that they can adapt, and they probably can adapt mm. their materials for their kids but the downside is so is that these guys being inexperienced and often very busy and panicking about everything and having all those behavior challenges we talked about before they need to have materials ready for them hmm. and so you're asking these people to get a bit worse at their job <laughs> in order to help the younger people yeah. who um aren't yet as good as their job and of course no one wants to trade off hmm.
0: so it's, I a, it's that a challenge question. I remember that question yeah well it
1: caused a big kickoff on Twitter <laughs> because people felt that we were doing it for some political stance actually uh-huh. a teacher had asked it on Twitter and we just thought it was interesting for these reasons and as my uh, my co-founder Professor Becky Allen talks about with this sometimes trade-off questions are important because they get rid of your current context if we said For your next school, which would you prefer? Mm. You might take into account your current context, whereas these trade-off questions, they tell us what you value directly.
0: (laughs) Teachers time is, is always one of the hot topics. What do we know that teachers spend most of their time doing?
1: I mean, teaching is the thing that they spend a lot of their time doing. (laughs) Uh, Is it worth me running through their day? Yeah, yeah. Kind of what we know about the teacher day. Yeah, lovely. So teachers get up super early. Mm. Um, The majority are up before kind of 6.30 a.m., which for the rest of the nation isn't true. Mm -hmm. I feel like you know you're a teacher when you first hear the shipping forecast. (laughs) And you think that because it's so early, you've actually lost the sense of English and nothing (laughs) works anymore. So they're all up early. They are typically in school by 7.30, 7.45 a.m. So what we've got is a profession that's already out the house, already in the job. We don't really know what they do between 7.45 and about 8.30 a.m. So that's the mystery. If mm-hmm. anyone knows, write in. Then, of course, you're teaching throughout the day. Three break duties or other duties per week on top of that. Mm-hmm. We know that, um, you know, 8%... 8%. 8% don't have any lunch at all, but 27% are in their classrooms having their lunch very rapidly trying to teach their, you know, clean up their classrooms and everything else. We get to the end of the day, usually about three meetings per week after school, not directed time, not because your head teacher mm. says, but because you've got other stuff that you need to deal with with colleagues. So they've sort of bashed through the day. Then they start going home around 4.30 to 5.30. By 5.30, the majority are gone. Um, and then they start again later. So on any given day, if we ask, did you mark in front of the TV last night, about 50% of teachers will say yes. Um, More if they're primary teachers with children, less if they are male secondary teachers without children. Some of that's to do with subjects, some of that's to do with mm. the fact they can stay longer in school and, and actually mark. So you've got this very, very long day and then they go to bed somewhere between ten thirty and 11 on average, which again, isn't very long in bed when you think they're going to be back up again so early. So yeah. teachers kind of ram through these high octane days with very, very little room to do anything, as well as trying to, you know, do emails, deal with kids who've lost their coats, deal with behaviour follow-ups. And then on a weekend, there's marking and planning. About 50% of teachers at some point will do either marking or planning.
0: What do teachers want to spend their time doing?
1: Um, Well, teachers come into the profession for different things. Primary school teachers really like children, typically. Mm. That's the thing. They want to spend their time helping children. As mentioned before, though, they do like teaching English and maths. Mm. We know that most people like being in the classroom What's challenging is that each of those hours in the classroom also involves marking and planning, and people like those less. Mm -hmm. There is a group who love planning. About (laughs) 8% of teachers who would prefer to just do that and nothing else, that's great, get them to do your curriculum stuff. (laughs) But 0% of teachers choose marking as their favourite task. Wow. So, you know, every hour that you're in doing your favourite thing kind of comes with this stack of other stuff. Mm. So I think that teachers in an ideal world would like to spend more time teaching or with children but they can't because it comes with this additional load of planning and marking.
0: How can we save teachers time? So we, we touched on it a little bit with um, and we spoke to Bruno Reddy from TT Rockstars mm. and he was really passionate about his website doing the marking for you and just spitting out some results and saying this is where you need to focus. Is that one of the answers or do we need to remodel the curriculum where it's based around oracy and uh, practical tasks that don't require so much marking?
1: So I'm reasonably bullish on the opportunities of technology to enable us to get away from uh, marking not because I, I actually liked marking that's probably why I'm in the 0% right <laughs> uh, I became an editor so it's not entirely a surprise but I think that technology can probably be more accurate and tell us more stuff about where children have gone wrong and what to teach next because of that um, but I also know that as I'm saying that there will be some people listening to this who will think that's terrible you know mm. I, I, I don't want to give a computer those things I'm going to lose grip of who my kids are. And so the job is going to change. And that may be a little bit painful.
0: Just while we're on it, if we touch on to technology yeah. in the classroom, uh, children using mobile phones in the classroom, yeah. adults using mobile phones. Uh, well, I know you've done some research into that.
1: Yeah, so it's going backwards. Um, primary schools have largely never really let children have mobile phones in the classroom. Yeah. Um, secondary schools appear to be coming more strict and trying to put more boundaries in place. I think as we're learning more about the consequences of social media, always on internet, the kind of dopamine hits and everything Mm. else, the way algorithms are built, we are gonna have to work out as a society about what we do. People will say, well, it's better to teach children to moderate in schools, Mm. Um, but I can understand why people feel that the tools are not there and they're up against technology that's not sophisticated enough Mm. to help them do that yet. Where schools are really good at this and they've got someone who is funded to be able to deliver technology and really look at devices and what software is available, then fine. But we are seeing people stepping away a little bit and saying we'd rather wait, get the measure of everything and move forward again as the technology moves rather than just let kids have mobile phones.
0: How, how much do you feel uh, teachers and schools listen to children's opinions on things like that?
1: That is a good question. Because I imagine
0: there there may be some children who think, if I can use a Kahoot quiz and I do it on my phone, then I get a lot from that because I can compare my results to other people. It's an instant thing rather than, you know, writing is a barrier for me and I I don't want to submit that and other people see it.
1: Yes, and we do see there are schools out there which are one-to-one with devices, things like Kahoot are Mm -hmm. used Broadly, we know that Google Classrooms, Microsoft Teams, like you can see a lot of software is used in schools. So it's not that people aren't using mm. software. It's more about whether the best way of doing that is via unfettered access to devices. I think that's probably where the, the fight is. Um, I do know that teachers would like to see a lot more regulation of social media. Again, mm. if you felt yeah. that kids were going to have their phones with them, but those phones weren't able to have on them, a variety of different apps that yeah. you would prefer that they didn't have, then it would be a lot easier. But it's hard to get technology that enables you to do that. Hmm.
0: Do you think um, children's opinions on things like um, how they're identifying or LGBTQIA+, mm. do, do students' opinions on that have an effect on teachers and their teaching?
1: Um, we have looked at it from the students' perspective. We did look at one point about whether student uh, whether teachers who identify as being part of the LGBT broader community were less likely to talk about their personal lives which we found that Ah. they were Um, not everybody again but they were less likely than those who would identify as straight cisgendered to say that they feel uh, able to talk about their lives on
0: a broader. scale to all you know all of their pupils or are we talking in a one-to-one situation
1: i just generally to to their pupils i mean i think it's more difficult to talk about for example your partner Mm. um, or historically has been Um, i think we're in an environment where that's got easier but also with some of the way that the media reporting and political discussion has gone around these identity issues of late i can also understand why teachers may feel that if they were to say that they were marrying somebody of the same gender, that that might become a sort of political issue within the school. And Mm. people will often say, well, why is it even necessary? Why should you tell the children that you're marrying somebody? I mean, I cannot tell you how many teachers every year change their surname, but it will be a lot because they are a woman who marries a man. Mm. Nobody thinks that it's a big deal <laughs> that we told the children that this has happened. And yet we are finding ourselves as a society back in some debates, I think, that previously had not been that controversial. I mean, it's, it's actually become such a challenging thing that it makes me nervous asking questions about it on TeachTap because we don't want the data to be misused. We worked really hard with the BBC recently to do an investigation into what teachers felt about the upcoming trans guidance. Mm. And we were so thoughtful, and the BBC worked so hard with us to make sure that those questions couldn't be taken out of context, that we were looking at facts, not opinions, um, because it has become such a difficult area.
0: Something I heard you say was that the best heads find the smallest, biggest improvements. Mm -hmm. Would you elaborate on that? What's your advice for headteachers?
1: Sure. I'm now wishing I hadn't said the best heads, because I'm probably (laughs) thinking of some heads that are really brilliant that didn't do that, but... um, I think it's the case that there are some very small things that you can do as a leader which are in your control, that aren't expensive, um, which make a difference. Mm. For example, the free teas and coffees, where people get upset that they don't get free tea and coffee. That can make a big difference. Mm. And again, when I was writing the book with Toby Salt, formerly from CEO of Ormiston, he talked about how taking away People's lunches, for example, or materially reducing lunches, that will have an impact on Mm. people's morale. It's just not worth it. Whereas working hard to get a better deal on your energy, especially at the moment, Mm. that isn't something that anybody's going to recognize, but actually that can have a huge difference along the line. So Mm. try really hard to focus on what seems small, like the quality of chips at lunch whilst also trading that off with finding cuts or finding balances elsewhere in the system. The same with the thank yous, the same with um, making sure that you're, you know, timetables as much as possible. If you can put somebody who's good at timetabling, and by good, we don't just mean effective and gets it done Mm. on time, but also is able to deal with the plethora of complexities that come with that, that will make a difference. So it's being able to find those small things, but do them really, really well.
0: The lunchtime thing really interests me. I I worked at a school where, before I got there, um, if you had your dinner in the dinner hall with the children, Mm -hmm. then it was a free dinner. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's just a win-win for everybody, and they took that away. And then because of behavior issues at lunchtime, lunchtime went from being an hour and 15 minutes down to an hour, down to 45 minutes. So exactly what you're saying, you no longer get the free meal, which you feel is a lovely thing to happen at school, plus your time is smaller, Mm -hmm. it just feels like, Yeah, things aren't moving in the right direction.
1: And think about the relationship building that's happening. Even if you as a teacher go and sit in the canteen and you don't sit with any other children because you don't want to freak them out. First of all, there will always be some children who don't have anybody else to sit with Mm -hmm. who will come and sit near you for psychological safety. Secondly, you can keep your eye on what's going on. Over the years, the number of pupils who I spotted had had a group of friends at lunchtime because we had this exact situation. Um, you would see that they are now not sitting with their friends. They've obviously fallen out. It starts to affect them in their lessons. But you can get them a different group. You can come and invite them to, I used to do Model UN, mm-hmm. right? And then actually you can rebuild their confidence and it helps them with their lessons. That stuff only happens if people are engaged with the life of the school. So anything that you can do to encourage that is, is really key. So it's a shame that that was taken away. Obviously, we don't know don't know the reasons why. But those decisions can influence things in ways that you're not expecting in the long term.
0: I recently visited um, Catherine Burble Singh's school and they have family, family dining. Yeah. And, and that, that was absolutely incredible to see the relationships, the conversations, uh, and just like the manners and mm-hmm. everything that you could want from, from from a dinner time was there, I thought it was lovely to see. And we tried it in our in primary school that we worked at. And I, I think the modeling we didn't get quite right, Mm -hmm. and the children from the backgrounds that they were from hadn't experienced that at home particularly, so it was alien to them as well. Mm -hmm. But it was one of the things I really felt like, oh, we should have stuck at that a little bit longer.
1: The pupils also mention lunches a lot. So in our pupil surveys as part of school surveys, um, Becky and I have them talk about the fact that the things that matter to kids are their friends, Matters a huge amount. I mean, I think a lot of what we talk about in terms of bullying and we talk about in terms of classroom is actually all under the concept of friends and Mm. whether people are being friendly to one another. Their lunches matter a lot, by which they mean the food, how clean it is, who they're sat with, do they have friends, and then the toilets. I mean, if you can kind of get those things right, again, they're small, but really, really important. And think about you as an adult. Actually, if you work somewhere and the toilets were really grim and you couldn't get decent food and you didn't like the way that you were and actually didn't like anybody and you weren't friends with anyone, would you want to stay?
0: Hmm. We recently spoke to Sonia Thompson and Tracy Adams and their school is an EF Research School. And the EF is is really big on implementing change and when you do your staff development meetings. Mm -hmm. So lots of schools potentially do them on a Wednesday after school where teachers are on that hump day, they're a little bit tired and they want to go home and that maybe isn't the best day to do that staff development. Do schools hold staff development meetings at other times during the week and does it differ between primary and secondary?
1: So we recently asked this question and there are many schools that have swapped their after their inset days for after-school twilights, mm. which, as you say, are often done on the back of staff meetings. Wednesday, by the way, we recently found, is the most common day of the week before mm. a staff meeting, so well done, I'm picking the most appropriate day there. Um, but this does seem to be something that's going on. Of course, it does mean for a very long day. We talked before, teachers will have been up very early, they'll have been at school quite early, they've often done six lessons, they've done a duty, they've now done a meeting, and we want them to learn at the end of that day.
0: And plus, sorry to interrupt, Depending on your head teacher, maybe Tuesday afternoon is your staff meeting. Mm-hmm. So you have that on the Tuesday, and then Wednesday you have your inset because you're gaining mm-hmm. a day back in your holiday. But that week is horrendous then.
1: It, however, it is a trade off for an extra day. So when everybody else has to go back on the first day after Christmas, and actually you get an extra day to get yourself sorted, that can be something that staff like. I think it's a really challenging one. There's different preferences. We see different preferences again all the time for how many half terms you should have, when you should have insets, is it better to have them spread out, is it better to have them all mm. at once? It's really hard to come up with a definitive answer.
0: There are schools which ask teachers to do extra duties in the holidays, maybe something around Christmas time or something in the, in the summer and then get that extra inset day. Uh, another head teacher we've spoken to, Phil Brooke, has six inset days mm-hmm. Um, because he feels like one, one every half term that's beneficial for teaching and learning and then staff earn that extra loo day which yeah. they can take off at other times. I,
1: I worked in a school where our head teacher worked out that there were particular weeks in November which we were very prone to having uh, sickness, whether that's through people being tired out, whether they were going Christmas shopping, who knew what was happening. So he decided to sort of drop our our days in there to see if that would help and also put some of our holidays and spread it out and said well you'll be able to have days off here and there.
0: What was the what, what do you think the key purpose of Tap is? Is it to have to open that dialogue with the government? I hear you talk about that a lot that the government might say something about teachers and then you just double check that that's true from your sample of 10,000 teachers.
1: Yeah I don't know if that was the initial purpose. So initially, it was Becky's idea. Um, She was originally going to look at trainee teachers. So the original Mm -hmm. plan was that we would um, have an app for trainee teachers so that you would be able to triage their experience and provide support quickly to them through the app, Mm -hmm. uh, through ITT providers. But of course, this was at a time when ITT provision was changing quite quickly. And so I was chatting to her about it. And I said, I'm writing editorials every week for Schools Week and I come up with what I think teachers think. Sometimes it's different to what the government is saying and it would be really good if we could survey people so it keeps me honest and it keeps them honest because I was and am still as bad at assuming things and then they're not true because I've forgotten about a particular group or I'm just wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason why we did it. We were also aware that there was just loads and loads of questions in education that we didn't know the answer to. For example, we always had a hunch that um, how many classrooms you teach in makes a difference to whether or not you stay in teaching. Now, we've not been able to stack that up as a real real thing in the data that we've collected so far. It looks like it probably doesn't make that much difference. But the fact you couldn't find the answer to that. Hmm. In fact, we couldn't even tell you what time on average teachers were in school or what time they left or how they did their CPD across the country. In 2017, it was impossible to find that out. Mm. And doing surveys at the time was really difficult. People don't respond Mm -hmm. to emails at the right rates. And to get the kind of sample size you have now is only possible through an app. So it was all about finding stuff out. It was a little bit about keeping me honest and keeping the government honest. And then over time, I think all of those aspects have started to become more important.
0: And now it's an incredibly valuable tool that's used by so many in so many different ways.
1: Exactly, I had a teacher just this morning who's written to us because he's writing a book and there's a piece of data that he wants to quote and so the team have been getting that over to him. That happens to us all of the time.
0: And if people want to write to you, what's the best place? Obviously they can contact you on social media and other places.
1: Yeah, so our website is with two uk, and we've got a contact us aspect of the website. If you write in that form, someone will get back to you or on social media, DMs. Uh, It happens a
0: lot. Perfect. What benefits do you get? Does your school follow the trends or are you the anomaly? Let us know by emailing podcast at whiterosemaths.com or on any of our social media channels. We read and reply to each one and would love to draw upon your thoughts in future episodes.